Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. We start today with another perspective on a conversation we had last week. You might have heard our segment about living conditions at Argyle Gardens. That's a transitional housing apartment complex in North Portland. It opened in the summer of 2020, and it was hailed as a cost-effective way to help some people out of homelessness. But just three years later, as reported by the Portland Mercury, tenants had been complaining about a variety of problems, including filthy conditions, assault, and theft. We talked about this with Courtney Vaughn, the news editor for the Mercury. Today, I'm joined by Tony Bernal. He is the interim executive director of Transition Projects, which developed and is responsible for this apartment building. Welcome to Think Out Loud. Thank you so much, Dave. Can you remind us what the idea was and is for Argyle Gardens? You bet. So Argyle uh, Gardens is a 72-unit affordable housing complex that was developed in the Kenton neighborhood. The goal of that project is to make some of the most affordable housing in our community so that we can house people who would otherwise not be housed. A small portion of the the residents there struggle um, with living in community and, and meeting some of their basic needs. Uh, such as properly caring for their own hygiene uh, in the spaces that they live in. We have been working to address these needs by bringing in some more services, more rental supports, uh, and meeting the unique needs of the, of the people living there. As an agency, um, we are wholly committed to, to ensuring that everyone has a safe and affordable housing uh, and the services that are, meet, meet their own unique needs. Why did you pursue the the single room occupancy, the SRO model for a, a big chunk of this building? And just for folks who aren't familiar with that or didn't hear the conversation last week, so that means that uh, it's it's basically a bedroom that that uh, for for these particular units that uh, a resident would have, and then there would be they'd have access to a shared bathroom and a shared kitchen area. Why this model? Yeah, thank you so much for that question. You know, if you've lived in a dorm room uh, with a shared kitchen and bathroom, you understand what a single room occupancy unit is. Uh, single room occupancy units are a model that have been used in Portland and really throughout the country uh, for more than a hundred years. Uh, transition projects has decades of experience uh, successfully operating them. Um, one of the, the benefits to single room occupancy units are that they are more affordable to operate. Um, and because that is true, we're able to house people who would other not, otherwise not be able to, uh, to be housed um, because their incomes w- wouldn't allow them to, to pay a rent high enough. Why did this model fall out of fashion? They used to be much more common in Portland and all around the country. They, at a certain point, became known as, as flop houses. But why did they fall out of fashion? You know, they they are still uh, there are still plenty of the of the of, of uh, single room occupancy units in the country. Um, I, I think um, we have pursued a variety of options, and we think um, very much so that there need to be a variety of options uh, for people experiencing homelessness and for everyone. Um, and I think we have seen recently a bit of a resurgence um, in single room occupancy units. I know the state of Oregon has begun to fund them again. 
uh, the Portland Housing Bureau put out a solicitation that specifically uh, solicited uh, single occupancy units. I think sometimes um, housing styles fall out of fashion and then they come back. And I think we have we have seen that uh, with the single occupancy units. The picture that emerged from the Portland Mercury's reporting and then that we heard on this show last week was of an apartment complex in a lot of disarray, dirty kitchens, uh, cabinets full of bicycle parts as opposed to food, conflicts between tenants, and gaps in the kinds of social services that seem necessary to promote a, a healthy, safe environment. Just simply, do you dispute that basic categorization? No, I, I think there's there's clearly some work that we are doing and, and continue to need to do. Um, I will say that uh, ultimately, this isn't about a cleaning contract. Uh, it is about connecting people to those services that they need uh, to thrive in their housing. I've been doing this work for uh, almost 25 years. And what we have seen is a growing need um, for deeper supportive services. We have seen more acuity. We have seen a mental health crisis worsening. Um, people who, who often have been out of housing for decades, who are once again brought into housing um, and lack some of the, the resources that they need to survive, take care of their own needs, uh, and existing community. It is hard work. It's some of the hardest work that we're doing in our community. And yet we can't give up. Um, and we have to continue to pursue um, every available resource to provide the services that people need so that they can thrive and live together in community. And we know that it works. We have plenty of experience um, with this model, um, with the population that we're serving. Um, sometimes there are stumbles but we have to remain committed to doing this work. I'm wondering about, you know, apropos of everything you've just said, I'm wondering about the, the acuity level of the residents in, in these spaces and, and the requirements or expectations of living in this kind of communal space. How would you assess the match between those two? Yeah, so the, I think that is ongoing work uh, to ensure that we have the best fit for everyone uh, in the housing that we have for them. That said, housing resources are very scarce right now. Um, and often we don't have the choice of many housing options for someone. So we have to find the first available housing option that we have for them. I think we have learned that there are some folks who are, who are less uh, of a good fit uh, for a single room occupancy unit and living in that sort of uh, close community than others. I think we, we will continue to do that work. Um, and we need to continue to bring in the services that people need in behavioral health, mental health, um, because that is a piece of it. Uh, um, it's actually sometimes it's easier to hear you and sometimes harder. I'm not sure if you're moving further away or closer to the microphone, but if, if you could stay close to the microphone, I think it'll help our listeners um, understand all, all of your words. But let me just remind folks yeah. right now, if you're just tuning in, we're talking right now with Tony Bernal, the Interim Executive Director of Transition Projects, and we're talking about the challenges in operating a supportive housing complex in Portland. The reason is one particular 
relatively new apartment complex, a deeply affordable complex in North Portland. But the lessons here, um, I, I think, are broadly applicable, not just in Portland, but all across Oregon, especially since supportive housing seems to be one of the most widely acknowledged solutions for homelessness. Is it fair to say that on some level, the the needs of these populations were, for the last couple of years, have been underestimated in terms of the level of services provided? I, I think in many ways, yes. I, I think um, we are constantly trying to adjust our services to the resources that are available. I think uh, frequently um, what housing providers, what social service providers are left to do is to try to make up the gaps of all of our other systems. So if we don't have a functioning mental health system, if we don't have a way to get people incomes and, and the resources that they need, we are often left to do that work of, of trying to fill in those gaps and, 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 and make every necessary bridge that we can. Um, and we do the best that we can and we need to do more collectively in order, um, in order to really serve people. Hmm. Do you have the resource? I mean, what the way you're describing it is that in a in a world where we don't really have a safety net, we've got tatters of it. Uh, when it comes to housing, that that's where you, you have no choice but to figure out ways to make it work. But do you have enough resources to do that? There, there are not enough resources in, in terms of certainly mental health, uh, addictions treatment. I think we need to continue to, to push to get those resources out, not just to people experiencing homelessness, not to just people formerly experiencing homelessness, homelessness but really um, to a, a much larger segment than that. And yet, we cannot wait until those services come before we house people, right? Things only get worse if people are not housed. You you gave us a, a glimpse of this, but I, I guess I want to dig deeper in this I mean, because you've been working in this field at Transition Projects specifically for yeah. almost 25 years. It'll be 25 years in just a month or so. In the big picture, what has changed in that time? Yeah, so many, so many things. Um, I think overall, um, mental health acuity has gotten worse. I think in general, people have gotten sicker. Uh, people have gotten older. Um, the average age of someone experiencing homelessness has gone up significantly. Um, Transition Projects operates most of the shelter beds in the state of Oregon. Um, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you would not see somebody in the shelter who was 70 years old, 75 years old. That is commonplace now. You can imagine the health issues that go along with that um, and just people's abilities to, to, to basically function. People have been outside of housing for longer. Um, there was a time when we were moving people back into housing quicker. Um, we have people who have been outside of housing for decades. Um, their health issues get worse. Their mental health issues get worse. If they didn't have a, an addiction before they became homeless, they have an addiction now. So there, there are a variety of, of issues uh, that really have uh, gotten magnified in this work. 
um, and then we can continue to grapple with every day. What specifically is going to change um, in terms of policies or staffing or resources or even your choice of the property management company? What is going to change at Argyle Gardens going forward? Yeah, we, we, we have a number of items that have been in, uh, in action uh, already. Uh, we um, in, in initially intended the, uh, the, the property not to be permanent supportive housing. Um, permanent supportive housing is, um, and I think most of your listeners know, permanent supportive housing is, is housing that is connected um, typically to on-site supportive services um, that are resourced appropriately. Um, so that was not the original vision for Argyle Gardens. We now know that we must convert more units uh, to uh, permanent supportive housing. We are actively in the process of doing that. Uh, we initially started with, with one services staff, which is traditional um, for a property that size. We have increased that to three services staff. Um, and we are bringing in additional resources, everything from nursing students um, uh, to a variety of other health and wellness supports um, so that we can work with people uh, to meet their individual needs and help them to, to thrive in, in their housing. Tony Bernal, thanks very much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Tony Bernal is the Interim Executive Director of Transition Projects. 